Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. Hello and welcome to the Brum Radio Book Show. We're feeling good. You sounded slightly surprised there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like I just beamed in. <laughs> um, um, we're all we're all rather hot, and I realise we've just left the fan on. We ought to turn oh, that yeah, off. Probably, yeah, if you, you don't want that con- constant, uh, it could be raining when you're listening to this. Exactly. Um, you don't want to so, uh, rub it on. Um, it, for for those of you listening in colour, Mike Gale is wearing shorts. Yes, that's that's correct. Yes. Sorry, I'm just trying to say that we're a book show, uh, the Brom Radio Book Show, uh, talking about all things bookish. Uh, and writing and um, literature, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Mike Gale, and uh, I'm one of the co-hosts on the show. Uh, and I'm Blake Woodham, one of the other ones. Yes, you're looking very splendid. Thank you very much. Uh, you're sort of working a kind of 50s mechanic look. Yes, that, um, is, that is definitely, that has always been my aesthetic. This is going well for a radio show. We're, we're going very visual this week, aren't we? Well, um, I... Kevin O'Flynn has come in with a full ball gown on. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Stuart's here in his bikini. As, as usual. Always. As always. Um, yes, so uh, it's our monthly look at all the things uh, in the world of books. Um, now, uh, we are available as a podcast, aren't we? And I just thought we could chat a little bit about that because you can download us now on... On iTunes or um, uh, other platforms. I'm not quite sure. I don't really understand podcasting very well. But I know it is available on, on iTunes. But for all of you people with iPhones, you can now just go to all your podcast things, type in mm-hmm. Brum Radio Book Show, and you can find us. And I believe we have listeners from all around the world. I know. Uh-huh. Um, have you, have, can, you, can you remember any of the places where... I remember, I remember we're quite big in China. Are we? We are quite Fantastic. big in China. We're also quite big in Birmingham. Hello, Beijing. <laughs> Hello, Beijing. You're very, um, very welcome. I've got... Uh, I was going to tell you a funny story about Beijing, but um, I, I can't because um, it'll just probably involve insulting a whole continent. Don't um, do that. So I, I won't do that. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I, <laughs> no, no. All, all it is, it, it was just a very short thing. Uh, I'm just going to start I some did, music. Uh, go over. <laughs> I did happen to you know, go to China on a book thing, and uh, one of the things they did is they gave me... Um, I went with the uh, British Council, and they gave me uh, like a small card with. Um, well, it wasn't a small card. It was a, it was a sheet of paper with um, all the things, all the all the ways that you can indirectly offend Chinese people, and uh, how not to, uh, and how to be polite. And I became completely paranoid after that um, that I was just going to inadvertently uh, insult somebody Chinese. Um, so I, I was just very. I was so. If you if you met me during that period, and I, I seemed nervous, it was because I was trying not to insult you. So he was um, so worried about all the inadvertent things. You were just going for the explicit insults. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was also at the time when um, uh, there was swine flu, and um, at the airport they had scanners scanning people to see whether they were going to let them in, and of course. On the plane, you know, I was absolutely fine. And then uh, suddenly we, when we landed, I was sneezing. I felt like I had a temperature. <laughs> I was busy trying to call myself down so I could get through the scanners. Obviously, I did, but... Um 
So this is the world of the international uh, <laughs> <as a> novelist. <laughs> this is what they don't tell you when you sign up to become a Booker Prize winner and uh, and jetted around the world. Not that I am. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> miss that. I, I, I certainly yeah, missed that yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on your but, Booker um, Prize. Yeah. Um, please, 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 um, please uh, tweet us at uh, brumradio underscore books, or you can email us at bookclub at brumradio.com. Um, we used to talk about phoning. There is a phone number somewhere. That's um, right. It is oh one two one six double three double five three four. But only phone us if 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 literally you're listening live. Uh, otherwise, um, you could be get another show, mm-hmm. and it could be lots of confusion. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't be talking about Paul Beatty's book to the indie rock show or something like that. Oh, maybe they do. I don't know. Exactly. Speaking of which, that is our book of the month, isn't it? That's correct, yes. Our book of the month uh, is Paul Beatty's um, The Sellout. And this is his fourth novel, I believe. That's right, but uh, it's a real he breakthrough. Won, he was the first US author to win the Man Booker Prize. That's right. I okay, so um, I might talk to Catherine about that a little bit later, see how she felt about that. And um, also on the show, we have, um, following on, on on the theme of literary fiction, we have our blog spot feature, which is uh, this month from the Book Munch blog. Now, Book Munch is um, who, the, the name of Book Munch is who's the chap? It's um, Pete Wilde is the main guy. Pete Wilde, yes. Yeah. Who uh, Catherine and I know because we contrib- contributed to a book uh, that he compiled, the Smith book, didn't we? Yeah. Um, so uh, he's a splendid chap, and uh, we look forward to hearing from him. And he's going to be talking about literary fiction. That's right. And any mention, and uh, well, it's actually Valerie O'Riordan, um, who is one of his colleagues there at Book Munch, who has oh, right, recorded okay. uh, that feature for us. Fantastic. And also, we have Stuart from Waterstones. Good morning. Hello. It's been a while since we've seen him, so we'll find out what he's been up to. And um, he's going to be talking, about, telling us all about the events at Waterstones. And obviously, we have Catherine O'Flynn, who we've seen, and she's going to be talking about The Homecoming by Ya Gayazi. Is that correct? I'm not certain. That's certainly how well I'll be pronouncing it. Okie dokie. good. Fantastic. From Radio Book Show. So, Stuart. Hello, Mike. Hello, welcome. So, where, where have you been? You've been busy selling oh, books, have you? Or? Yes, busy selling books and in different places and thinking. How is Waterstones? <laughs> is it keeping well? Waterstones is doing all is right. Is it taking over yes, the world? Yes, we're all right. No, no, yeah. I don't think we're aiming to do that. We just oh, right, want, okay. to, want to stay if we right, can. Right, okay, okay. Yes, we'd like to stay. But, but things are looking good book-wise yeah, in the, in the book are, world. and there's lots of amazing stuff coming out. Books, books are on the up, which is... A good sign. Is this when you say that? Is it physical books on the up or all publishing? It, well, physical actually, mm. because ebooks have plateaued a bit and even has gone into a slight decline. Who knew that would happen? Um, have you got Have you got an inkling why that might be? I think people love books, and I think they like to give books as well as read books, and I think ebooks don't lend it themselves to that kind of approach. A bit of that. Do you think that there might be an element of, you know, kind of early adopting, that kind of first generation of everybody getting on board with something and then it's sort of gradually falling down yeah. as, I mean, I, I suppose a lot of people, I believe, are, are onto this kind of second generation sort of e-reading by now. And so you might think to yourself, well, I've already spent 100 quid mm. on one. 
now I want another 100 quid and it's broken, so... I don't know whether or not people use the e-readers either, because obviously yeah. you can do it on... You can get them on your phone and you can get them on your iPad or whatever as well, so I don't even know if it's actually the devices, but maybe it's just the whole the whole kind of thing. Uh, Stuart says the physical book is a nice thing, and I think publishers have been making much more of an effort with the physical books. Publishers have made books. Yes. nicer, haven't mm. they, and so they're much more cherishable and you know they look nicer. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's yeah, the state of the uh, plate in publishing. <laughs> Briefly. Briefly. Um, tell us, what have you got going on at Waterstones? Well, as, as usual, we've got lots of events which you can find on our website, waterstones.com. But there's one particular one I want to flag up um, because it's such a good one. Matt Hay. The, the, the best thing about this one, I believe, is the host, isn't it? Well, I've heard there's a very good host called Blake. I don't know where we found him, but uh, he's excellent. But Matt Haig is, is a dream author to get for an event. He's, he's so versatile and so busy. This event is to do with his new novel that's coming out, How to Stop Time, which sounds really incredible. It's about uh, a man who's been alive for centuries but has to kind of do different difficult things to, be, to stay alive. One of them is he's not allowed to fall in love. So it's quite a complicated story. He's a history teacher telling his own life, essentially, in a school. Um, so it sounds like a really good book. But Matt Haig is kind of very held up as somebody who really understands humans and, mm. and, and kind I, of psychology. I, I, I do know um, Matt personally, and he is a splendid chap. He's, um, there is something about him. He's just very tuned into kind of... Um, I suppose people like, like, like you well, say. His I mean, last book was very successful. His non-fiction, wasn't it? About it, how, how to stay, stay alive. sane. Yeah. Or how to stay alive. Well, come it, on. Yes, yes, how to stay alive. Uh, and that was, and that's been hailed by a lot of people as, as really uh, bringing a lot of mental health issues uh, into the into the forefront. Yes. And yeah. this book, this book is also being it's already being filmed. I think with Benedict Cumberbatch. It's Amazing. already. Even, I'm not even sure yeah. it's been released yet, but it's been snapped up to make a Fantastic. film. Fantastic, so that sounds like an absolutely brilliant event. Um, so what time's that and how That's much is it? And it's on the 12th of July Fantastic. and it's £3 and it's at the shop. And £3? That's a bargain. bargain. And do you, with that £3, do you get money off the book as well? You can, if you buy the book, yeah. Fantastic, so basically it's free if you get the book. Which you should. Which you should, should. absolutely. (laughs) Um, Have you got anything else that you'd like to tell us about? Well, just uh, there's some really good publishing at the moment. So something coming out this week um, is called Greatest Hits. It's Laura Barnett, who we all know, versions of us with a massive, massive success. We're big fans here and we're hoping to have her next week. Well, I'm interviewing her this afternoon. (laughs) Along with uh, Catherine Williams. Um, So tied in. Because well, you're, you're interviewing Catherine Williams at the same time? Both of them together. Oh, right. Um, okay. the, 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 just so you know, I mean, this is going to be our book of the month next month. So we're, we're in tune here. You can see also we haven't done any preparation. It's as if we just the, turned up five minutes beforehand. The, the premise of this novel is wonderful. The idea is that it's a, a sort of singer songwriter. Sorry to. to um, it's who's looking back over his life. I've read it, you see, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. And she's looking back over her life and all of the... And she's collating her greatest hits album that's based on the songs that meant the most to her. So she's recounting the, the stories that led to the songs being written. And Catherine Williams, who is a Mercury uh, Prize-winning musician, has made an album uh, of all these songs. So you can actually listen along as you, uh, as you read the book. And it's, and it's absolutely beautiful. And the music 
perfectly connects and it really adds a layer to it because you're reading about this very personal story about this woman and then you're hearing a voice and at one one of the songs she does a duet with with her lover at the time yeah. and it really spine tingling because all of a sudden these people you've read about are in your ears yeah. as well it's a fantastic fantastic book really interesting project so i'm not quite sure about listening to music while i'm reading I can't well do it, the lyrics are printed in the book so you can oh, literally right, stop okay. listen to the song reading the lyrics at the same time but also then you you understand the origin of the story origin of the, it's, it's the, not going to happen so not, not, not for you but it's a really good idea so, so that's coming out is that out thanks yet? very much for that. it's out Thursday comes oh, out fantastic. on Thursday and, it, and, it, and even if you don't want to listen to the music the writing's obviously going to be incredible again so brilliant should be a great book and then the other one I wanted to flag up is a bit different actually Jeff Vandermeer who is probably the kind of star god of sci-fi at the moment he's such a good sci-fi writer he's very intelligent writes very kind of quite dark uh, kind of despotic kind of dystopian books but really inventive mm. just oh, kind of yeah. he writes about worlds you could just couldn't couldn't dream up yourself mm. and so uh, he's famous for the Southern Reach trilogy, which is just an, an amazing. Which is also books. being filmed at the moment. It is. Everyone's in films, aren't they? Come on, Mike. <laughs> yes, and, uh, make mistakes. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, yeah. But his new book, Born, is a standalone book, and it just sounds mind blowing. It really does. There's flying mm. bears attacking a town. There's uh, strange green things that are, are kind of former humans in new states, and it, it just—it's not space. It's not spaceships. It's kind of. It sounds like Broad Street, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> a bit like Broad Street yeah, on a yeah, Friday. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and what are you reading at the moment? Um, well, that's the one I'm reading. Oh, right, OK. Born book. It's just, he's such a good author. I don't normally... I don't read a lot of sci-fi. I like yeah. very good sci-fi, but yeah. I read a lot of different things. But he's he's really worth a look at for anyone. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and we got the date. What was the date again? That's out. That's come out this week. Brilliant. OK. And um, Blake, I believe you have some uh, sort of event thing. Yes, yeah, something I went to last year and I'm very um, strongly encourage people to look into is the Creative Writing Summer Show right. that is done um, as part of Writers West Midlands, Writing West Midlands. It is the the work of the students and staff of the School of English at Birmingham City University. So this is poetry, screenplay, fiction, and non-fiction as well. Uh, and they actually, the students and staff perform, or, you know, read out some of their work. And there's also a book that comes out as part of it called Timelines, which is an anthology of their new creative writing. And you can get that at the event. And also this time, quite excitingly, Kit DeWall, friend of the show, um, she has written the, um, the forward to the book, and she's written a piece of fla flash friction. Flash, flash friction. friction. Get my teeth in. Flash fiction, which I think, I believe she started off doing um, uh, um, in the book as well. So you can get some new Kit wall work as well as all this other work and I, as I say I went last year um, really interesting very wide range obviously of different types but always uh, it was something interesting to listen to so that's on the 21st of June at 6 to 8.30 at um, BCU here in Birmingham and you can go to if you go to Eventbrite they've got a, a clip there for right. like their, um, tickets and stuff brilliant well uh, maybe we should send you along with a microphone and and, uh, and you can maybe do some sort of package for us and uh, we can find out so for people who can't make it maybe. okay well I will I will do my <laughs> best <laughs> um, also uh, I've got uh, something called right now so um, Penguin Random House uh, the UK, uh, uh, UK publisher are hoping to uh, encourage some underrepresented um, 
communities to get into writing. And so um, they're going to be holding some insight days uh, in London on the 9th of September, uh, Bristol on the 16th of September, and Newcastle on the 23rd of September. And they're going to have 150 writers um, gathered together and to have, uh, so hopefully they're going to have some feedback for them on their work from an editor and they'll get to meet literary agents and published authors. Um, ten of those uh, writers will be invited uh, to join the year-long Right Now mentoring programme, working with a penguin, pen, sorry, penguin Random House editor to develop their manuscript and ultimately um, they hope to publish these ten writers. So um, you can, uh, application needs to be in by the 16th of July and so uh, I think the idea is to just Google something called right now, so that's all one word and uh, all, some, all the information should be there. So that's for some budding writers out there. <coughs> Fantastic. Um, so it's time now to turn to our novel of the month. Is it? Oh, is it not? <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I thought you were going to ask me what I've been up to. I have, I have forgotten <laughs> to yeah, ask yeah, that. Yeah. I, it's um, all right if you don't so, care. So um, <laughs> I tried to get away with not having to ask this, but what have you been up to, Mike? So, um, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, I haven't actually been up to a huge amount. Um, and now we're on to our novel. Writing-wise, I've just been sort of um, um, going... It's for the beginnings of novels. Um, You're starting a new one? Uh, yes, yes. And um, I, I'd, I'd started the first chapter, I'd, I wrote four, and um, realised that something was fundamentally wrong with the first chapter, so I had to kind of go back and work on that again. And it, it's a slow process at the beginning, but I suppose the way I always tell people I, I explain it to people is it's like lay, laying a, a foundation and I think you have to have a, a firm foundation before you can kind of build up any higher and, and I just think if something doesn't feel right in the very beginning you, you sort of need to kind of get that sorted is it Am I alone in this? I'm, I'm looking across at Catherine here. Uh, no, no, absolutely. I think I, I spend possibly too long in the bit before building the foundation, just sort of thinking <laughs> yeah. about the foundation. Years can pass. <laughs> Paralysis. <laughs> it's so important, do I feel it is, that often you know nothing happens after that stage. And the foundation often crumbles before I even lay the first uh, stone. But, yeah, yeah, in theory, yes. Um, yeah, you know, I, I absolutely agree. I, you know, it, it's funny, but I think you do... Um, I'd say at least 50% of the work that you do in a novel actually kind of comes before you start writing or within those first few things because you're you're establishing everything that you're going to need later on in the novel. So um, that's what I've been doing. I um, imagine it must be quite difficult when you come to your, your second novel because you may have been writing your first one for 10 years without realising it, um, doing all that preparation, and then the second one comes around and it must be suddenly a bit of a shock. Is that is that your experience? It, it, it was for me. Mm. Uh, it was. It, I, I remember going to see my um, going to see my publisher the first time, and my agent said, "All oh, right, okay. Um, now uh, they, they're going to ask you about your second novel. So, have you got any ideas?" And I'm like, second novel. <laughs> it, this is everything. Everything that I've got to say. <clears throat> um, but of course, there is more, and uh, you, you do find it. But it just takes a little bit longer, I think. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I've been reading, and I've, I've got into thrillers. Um, and uh, I've just read the, the Couple Next Door by Shari Lapina, and um, I think that's in the kind of top ten, uh, sometimes top ten at the moment. 
and um, it's it's a very kind of post Gone Girl sort of novel, and um, and in a similar to Gone Girl, it, it has a brilliant first half, and um, as we were saying in the in the, the last <laughs> show, um, not such a great second half, oh. um, but. It wasn't enjoyable. It was enjoyable, and it, you know, I did get to the end. So, and I think that's it. <laughs> that's the measure of success. <laughs> no, I think it is because you know, I'm. I used to be, and I know a lot of people are, are very dogmatic about this. Um, I used to be the sort of person who, if you pick up a book, you've got to finish it. Mm. You know, you're not allowed to buy any more books. You know, and now um, I, if 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 it's not happening, I will just put it down. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's a bad book. It doesn't mean it's an awful book. It just means that it's just not for me. So, actually, I think, for me, getting to the end of a book is is actually a, a sign of, a, of it being a fairly decent book. Well, How about you? What have you been up to? Uh, I've milked a cow, um, and uh, I'm telling everyone this because I was very excited about the prospect of doing it. I went to a farm, milked a cow last weekend. I'm glad you were in a farm. Uh, <laughs> I didn't break in. Um, um, but apart from that, no, I've just been reading um, as well. I've really um, been uh, thro- uh, really getting into, been sent a lot of uh, independent publishing okay, recently. Um, and a lot of that is translated um, stuff from um, you know, authors that haven't necessarily had any impact in the UK before, uh, and some really interesting. Reading a French, a French novel called Block Forty Six, yeah. um, which has been um, uh, was a sort of French Swedish author uh, set in London. So it's a very uh, um, slightly kind of um, cosmopolitan vibe to it, but um, really enjoying that. So um, yes, it's it's quite nice to you know sometimes step outside of stuff you've seen you know uh, yeah, advertised and try something a bit different but obviously it's always a bit nerve-wracking as well as to whether or not because all the reviews on the back are usually from you know little blogs and um, and things and you think I'm not sure you know yes, I yeah, often well, find it very reassuring yeah. when you know BBC Radio 4 say this is amazing you think yeah. well, it probably is um, whereas if it just says Barry Smith says it it may be but uh, I don't know who Barry Smith is I'm sure you're very nice, Barry Smith. <laughs> this is a random name. I haven't picked a real Barry um, Smith. Um, finally, I've also been watching the Handmaid's Handmaid Tale, um, which I've oh. never read, but my wife's read. is a huge Margaret Atwood uh, fan, and uh, so we've been watching it avidly and um, just being completely mul- uh, terrified. Oh. Um, completely. I had to turn it off after 45 minutes. Too much. <laughs> it's just horrible. Just brilliant, but slap jaw. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, that's been my literary month, I think. Fantastic. Uh, am I now allowed to say it's time to introduce our book of the month? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, now, this one, um, the interview, we have an interview with the, the novelist, Paul Beatty. Uh, as Mike said earlier on in the show, Paul Beatty won the Booker Prize for this novel. The interview was conducted by Philip Ellis, who is a Brum Radio presenter and also the head honcho of Brum Radio's Tall Tales fiction program which we very much recommend you Brum checking Radio, yeah. out um, and um, so first of all here is a little, little explanation of what the book's all about this is Philip Ellis and I am here with best-selling author of the Booker winning The Sellout Paul Beatty hi Paul hey Phil for those out there who might not already be familiar with the book could you tell us about it just... <laughs> it's kind of hard to 
summarize, but uh, it's basically about this kind of oddball kid lives in a town called Dickens that's been erased off the map. He, you know, he kind of goes through a bunch of uh, hoops and circles to try to put the town back on the map. You know what? The, you've heard the phrase fight fire with fire. Mm-hmm. He yep. kind of sort of chooses to fight racism with racism. <laughs> that's, that's the best way I can put it. That sounds fantastic. Fighting racism with mm. racism. Yeah, it is. It's, okay, quite, it's um, quite something. Can you can you sum up the book for when the author can't? No, and I'm, I'm what, what I was quite pleased about <laughs> hearing the interview was that he was very much you know when when Phil was asking him about you know what, what certain things mean and what his intentions were, he was very much kind of saying. You know, I'm raising questions, I'm not answering them. Because this is a book which is, um, although it does have a plot, it's very much about the asides and the characters. And it is is incredibly... um, um, I'm not quite sure the right word. I was going to say scabrous, but that sounds good. It's full on. Yeah, he he casts his... um, uh, vitriol wide yeah, and, and covers so and covers everybody, yeah. um, and it is it is so so funny. Um, just loads and loads of really crazy characters. It's it's you know it's not it's not hyper real. The, the central character um, works in so it's it's all set in a, a, a Los Angeles I think it is suburb. Uh, there's a town that's being wiped, literally wiped the map. Being, its name is being removed, and he's like a, a the main character is like a farmer who who in this urban sprawl has a little farm and wanders around on a horse, uh, which seems ridiculous. But I was really these things do exist. These sort of urban urban farms um, where people actually you know do you know, do make a living um, from farming on. So uh, and he makes kind of um, all and, and it's just it's just loads and loads of kind of crazy characters in crazy situations um, and. Um, you know, in the interview you'll hear later on, Philip says, "You know, is it? You know, it's not very PC." And I think that the, the whether or not you agree with that terminology, <laughs> you would say it's not very PC. There's very little I can use to describe any very little quotes I can I can I can use on air from this book, shall we say? Sounds brilliant. So we've got the first part of our interview coming up. So um, you're listening to Brum Radio. Um, with the uh, we're talking about our book of the month, Paul Beatty's The Seller, and here's the first part of the interview. The whole novel does kind of hinge on this narrator having a very controversial idea, mm. which is to bring back slavery and segregation in Dickens. Yeah. Where did that idea come from? I don't know. They just, <laughs> they just come, you know. Thank goodness they come sometimes. I don't get too many good ideas. But it wasn't, you know, so much the ideas. I think the book started, I kind of had an idea for the hominy character. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had that. I think that was the the real spark for the whole book. It's like, how do I give this character, you know, some context, you know, geographically and psychically? I think so. The slavery thing sort of came out of thinking about this character. You know, like just how the buffoon, you know, the black buffoon in film. You know, like how that has been historically portrayed. So slavery is part of that in some sense. The segregation stuff. I don't know where that came from. Every now and then you hear someone say, oh. You know, African-Americans were better off under segregation. You know, we had our own this, we had our own that, this kind of thing. I don't know. At some point, it just popped in my head. Like, oh, what would that look like now? You know, and how do you do it without really doing it? You know, that was yeah. that was a really good challenge for me to do. For a novel that talks about a lot of heavy subjects like poverty, racism, slavery, it's really funny. Mm. Was it important for you to have a narrator with that really wicked sense of humor in order to maybe get away with talking about 
some of the other no, stuff. everybody asks me that I'm, uh, no it's just 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 the way I write you know it's not like I'm like oh if I put some laughs on this it'll be it goes down easier so it's not that's not interesting to me really you know for me it's just it's just about the writing and that's you know sometimes it's funny sometimes it's not funny you know that's just how I write when the sellout was first published Obama was still president do you think that the book would have turned out differently if you were writing it now with the United States being in uh, a different a different I mean, way yeah I mean if I had started the book the day before or the day after whenever I started it the book would be different somehow so I mean in that sense yeah it'd be different I mean in the sense that I guess you're talking about like the political climate or whatever. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I can't. I can't really say. Sorry. No, I mean, you know, it's uh, it took me five years to write the book. So the book's not in in response to like any kind of current events necessarily mm -hmm. or anything. It's about a yeah, zeitgeist is the wrong phrase. It's just it's about a um, you know just this omnipresent level of you know maltreatment of absurdity. You know these just these things are always there for me. Which is not to say that the book wouldn't be different if I started it tomorrow. It'd be about something else. I'm sure. It's probably fair to say that there are a lot of scenes in the book that are, um, could be deemed politically incorrect. Mm, what does that um, mean, eh? politically incorrect? So the narrator has this sort of, I guess you would say, maybe an equal opportunities outlook where everybody is as open to ridicule or, or criticism or, or, you know, to be insulted. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, almost you could you literally open any page and he's, he's, he has an opinion about everything. So that's politically incorrect. You're the first person well, who I've just challenged on this. I'm sorry about that. No, 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 no please do. Um, <laughs> well, I, I said could be deemed politically yeah, incorrect sure. by what I, I guess you'd call them or some people call them like the PC brigade. So you know, forget this, about the PC brigade because I'm talking to you. So okay. you tell me All what right. you think. You know what I mean? I think sort of the the um, like the ever-present liberal in my head yeah. was maybe touching a bit, but I personally felt that maybe that was part of the point. Mm. That why is it? And and the character does say, you know, well, why is it okay for us to say something about one group but not about another? Mm. What makes what protects this group or what what's off limits? Sure. And yes, yeah, so I was I was just really interested in, in. Do you think that there anything is off limits, or should we be allowed to find the ridiculousness in? anyone and anything. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody should be allowed to create whatever they want to create. You know, that's, I think that's, for me at least, seems like that's not even worth talking about, really. You know, but at the same time, you know, you have to suffer the backlash, you know, like, you know, people might be upset or and they could be right. They could be wrong. Who knows? You know, have you faced much backlash? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, hopefully the book is good, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people seem to think so. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think when something's good that that um, that trumps like certain hurt feelings sometimes, you know, when something's new and something. I don't think there's anything in the book that would hurt anyone's feelings. I don't. That's just me. But I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to play dumb to you know what's in there but uh i mean i think you know the, the book covers a lot of ground in so many different ways you know and i think yeah. like if someone i mean i can't tell somebody not to be offended or not to be hurt or feel the like they're the butt of the joke you know i think there might be some individuals who might feel that way but if you know if you feel like however you see yourself as a black person or as a white liberal i don't know so i don't i don't think so to be honest i mean i think that hopefully i mean i think the book like what you were saying it goes all over the place and it touches on a lot of things and you know there's a lot of contradiction in the book I think I'm not saying that it washes out. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't think about the political correctness thing very much. Just trying to tell the story that I want to tell, you know, the way I want to tell it, using yeah. a language that feels right for me. It's a weird, it's a weird book. Like it feels. I could see how somebody would think that it feels opinionated, but to me, it's not very opinionated at all.
Wow, that's a lot there. Um, yeah. You're listening to the Brum Radio Book Show, and uh, that was Paul Beatty uh, talking about his latest novel, The Sellout, and he's being interviewed there by um, Brum Radio's Philip Ellis. That's a meat right there, isn't it? Yeah, um, a I, lot I'm, of questions. Yeah, and there's no answers. answers. No, no, I mean, I think, but I think you know, as he says, as he makes clear there, you know, he's, he's there's a lot of these things, you know. Race, um, slavery, poverty—all these things that that people talk about, and particularly, uh, you know, well, I suppose like you know, well-meaning white liberals like me um, find it quite uncomfortable potentially reading a book like this because mm. you're suddenly confronted with the language you don't really want to be confronted with, and all of these, uh, you know, the, the central characters, or well, one of the central characters or genius character creation is this character called Hominy, who is a he was a celebrity um, from a TV series, American TV series I hadn't heard of, called um, The Little Rascals. The Little Rascals. The Little Rascals is quite, is quite famous. Yeah. They started in black and white, and I think they did, they've done, uh, they did a, a film. I think they did, a, yeah. But yeah. originally, I think it was from the 30s. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he was like a child star from that. And um, He was the understudy, wasn't he? He was the understudy to, to <laughs> one of the characters. Um, and, um, and, he, and he wants, and his idea is he wants to become the slave of, of the main character, who's never actually named, um, for, for slightly uh, complicated <laughs> reasons. Um, but you know, all these things are incredibly make you feel quite, or made me feel quite uncomfortable reading yeah. it. Um, and I think you know that's the thing that literary fiction particularly can do is, is it makes you makes you think. Oh, you know, what am I supposed to think? And and what the writer's saying is, I don't know. Um, yeah. there's, there isn't an answer uh, what you're supposed to think. So it raises a lot of questions. But you know, all the way through, that makes it sound like it's hard work. It is very very funny as well. Do you think there's an element of of him chuckling behind his computer as he's making you feel all these feelings making you feel that uncomfortable I don't know I don't know I think there's there's a possibility but I don't think it's um, uh, gratuitous I don't think it's for shock value uh, at all I think he, you know it's not it's not a sort of um, it doesn't feel like it's a shock value. It feels like these characters are incredibly well drawn. The characters he just wanted to write, and he's just there's just so many kind of um, variety, and he's he's hitting everybody uh, equally. <laughs> um, that I, it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel gratuitous, but I feel that yeah, yes. maybe I don't think it was um, you know manipulative, um, but you know. That is obviously. Sometimes I sit there and I think, "Am I misunderstood all of this?" And that's what makes me terrified. Well, exactly. But it's that, it's that whole idea of what am I supposed to be thinking? Yeah. We we do live in this kind of uh, this kind of world where we feel like there is a right answer and there is a wrong answer, yeah. and we don't like grey areas yeah. because they do make us feel uncomfortable. And that is exactly what this book gleefully does. I think it sort of highlights all of those grey areas and says, um, you know, it's um, it's complicated. There's a really painful scene in it where there's um, a stand-up comedian, black stand-up comedian, with this predominantly black audience and this white couple in it, and they're laughing. And he stops and he and he singles them out and says, "Why are you laughing? This isn't for you. Get out!" And chucks them out. And it's and it's horrifying. Mm. And he really sort of agonising. And but you don't quite know how you're supposed to feel about the whole business. So we've we've got another part of the interview mm. coming up. And uh, so this is um, more of the sellout by Paul Beatty, and it's Philip Ellis interviewing Paul Beatty. The publishing industry mm. has been criticised for a lack of diversity in the authors and in the kind of uh, books that it puts out. Yeah. And there's this sort of maybe unspoken message that, you know, on, on the shelves that white stories and white characters mm. and, you know, by extension, white authors are mm. the default mm. and that maybe stories by or about people who aren't white or aren't straight mm. um, or aren't even men, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. that that's not going to be a universal story that's going to yeah. reach a lot of people. Yeah. The Sellout is the second book in this many 
many years by a black author about black characters to win the Booker Prize. Mm-hmm. So do you think that the publishing industry is going to take the hint and start investing in a wider range of authors and, and stories? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure those two things go together for me, really. I mean, one is who's the publishing industry. I know what you mean. You know, I guess, you know, mainstream. I, I don't know what percent of books they publish by who, what, why. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. There's the sense that about that whiteness is universal, I guess. I, I don't give a f- about that. You know, really, I mean, I think everything's universal. You know, I think I had a student who kind of was talking about this, about like how he is a black reader. No one ever handed him a white book and went, yeah, you're not going to get this. This isn't about, you know, it's like, you know, it's an interesting take. Uh, It was smart. He's a smart kid anyways. Yeah, so I don't think about that. You know, I just, I don't try to write from that point. Like, I don't have an audience in this thing. And just like even you think saying that this is a black book about black characters. Like, I'm like, what is that mean. I mean, yeah. it's black in the sense that I wrote it and I'm yeah. black. But the central character and his girlfriend are black, I guess. But there's a ton of people in this book, you know, that aren't black. You know, it's about a city that's not black. You know, it's about a neighborhood that's mostly Latino, but it feels black. You know, it's about all this stuff in one time. You know, in the end, he talks about unmitigated sense of blackness. And like most of his examples aren't like black in the way we think of black, you know, like Bjork or something. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's this weird mix of stuff. So I get nervous when people People just say that this is that, you know, because I think that's like an easy reading and we're taught that. But I'm, I don't know if I'm still answering or if I'm just pontificating or something. But, I mean, pontificate uh, away. Yeah, that's fine. No, um, <laughs> So, but you had another question in there somehow, or I can't remember what it was. Do you think that publishing will become perhaps more diverse as, I don't know, success story feels like, like you say, like a kind of lazy way to describe yeah, it? Yeah, but... I mean, I think like, you know, I won and Marlon won. It just, I, yeah, I mean, they get to do what they want. People get to publish what they want. Maybe people will say there's a market for these types of books, I guess. I don't know. But I think the market was always there. I think we, we don't talk enough about like how we read. It's very similar to how we publish, I guess. I can't believe I'm saying we. But yeah, I don't know how I feel about all this, really, because I think it also builds in a set of expectations about what these books are. There's a beautiful organization in New York called the Asian American Writers Workshop. They hold workshops for Asian American writers so they can get in the publishing industry and all this kind of stuff, because I think rightfully so. People see this very small market. And, you know, when I teach my Asian American students, you know, they come up to me and they go, oh, you can't believe what so and so expects me to do as an Asian American. American writer, like it has to fit this niche immigration literature. Some oh, like it has to be Amy Tan or something. I don't know if it has to be Amy Tan, but it has to do something. The experience has to be rendered in a certain way. Mm. That's how they feel. I don't know. I'm not. So I did this uh, panel. There were four of us on the panel, me and three other Asian American writers, um, two first time novelists and one novelist that's been around for a while. And they're, you know, they're having this discussion about like what you're supposed to write about, what you're allowed to write about, who's this, you know, what's your role. And all this. And somehow it came up that uh, one of the writers doesn't use Asian American characters in their fiction. The one of the, the, the older writer was a little taken aback. And they said, uh, how can you do that? You know, the world's here. Colors are real. You know, this is a, you have to be very angry with this other writer. I didn't say anything, but not saying anything made me have to say something after the discussion. So it got a, not heated, but, you know, it got a little. So for me, it's not like I would never tell that writer that they have to put 
have to write about that experience. You know, they have to put a label on that experience. And then for me, the interesting question is why that person chooses not to do that. Now, if they choose it because it fits into like what you were talking about earlier about, they might not feel it's universal enough. You know, like this limits their audience or limits how people are going to read them. That, that's a choice that would make me uncomfortable, but that's that person's choice. And if that person is not interested in it, doesn't interest in them, like, why should they write about it? You know, so I, I don't know. I was just curious, but I didn't ask. It wasn't my business, really. But I think that person has the option not to render these things in a way that other people feel the world needs to be rendered. I just feel like that's dangerous thinking. So that was uh, Paul Beatty talking about the, the, the sellout. I just love this idea that, that there being a panel where Paul Beatty feels like he can't say what is on his mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrifying um, business. Before we, we talk a little bit more about that um, and about issues of representation, I wanted to introduce our uh, not regular guest, uh, Catherine. Hopefully. How Hello, are you? Mike. How are you? you been? Are you well? I'm well. I'm well, thank you. Yes. And uh, what have you been up to? Um, I've been, oh God, I feel like um, it was a Morecambe Wise, wasn't it, where Ernie Wise was always writing his play, wasn't it? <laughs> just like constant. I feel like that with this children's book I've been writing, yeah. which seems to have been dragging on for about three years now, and just <laughs> constantly, just in another draft, and just hammering away. I think I finally f- f- dispatched it oh, out. Fantastic. Whether anything will come of it, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I've been faffing about with that, and I've been reading quite a bit, seeing, so, absorbing quite a bit of culture at the moment. You've got to feed your soul. I've got to feed my soul. I've got to feed my kids as well. I'm getting paid <laughs> to do it. So. <laughs> so. Now, obviously, we've listened to this uh, Paul uh, Beatty interview. Um, fantastic stuff. Mm. Anything come from it that you kind of feel strongly about? Well, it's kind of really interesting what you were talking about there, about that sort of idea of, you know, representing, you know, and this burden placed on authors to sort of uh, represent their perceived community. Um, I did a panel last year organised by Spread the Words Literary Agency with um, Satnam Sanghera and um, another guy whose name I've completely forgotten, but it was all about do you as a black writer or as a British Asian writer or in my case supposedly a working class writer feel the need do publishers put pressure on you to represent and uh, whilst that, it was quite it was funny because none of us did at all so I felt really <laughs> so, no. I felt so sorry for the fact because literally the whole debate was over yeah. in about 37 seconds yeah. but um, you know we all felt a responsibility to write what we wanted to write you know and be true to that but it is the case I think absolutely what he's saying it's about readers expectations you know what I mean they it's it, there are these kind of ghettos in literature and it's it's you know you can put a lot of the blame on publishers but a lot of it is to do with readers just not being very widely read and adventurous and not taking risks and having certain you know it's not just in reading it's in everything isn't it those kind of preconceptions that people it's a, it's a really difficult one I think um I, I, uh, when I was published in America I, I took a tour I had to go on a, a, a tour um, and one of the things I, 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 I was really shocked by was the fact that when I went to bookshops, I would find my, my, my book that had been in the Sunday Times top ten and been widely read by pretty much everybody. Yeah. Found it in the black section. Yeah, yeah. And... Crazy. It, it felt, it, well, it, you can look at it two ways. You can kind of say, well, if you want to find books by black authors, then yeah. it makes sense that you can find books by black authors in yeah. a section. But equally, you don't want it to be a ghetto. You don't want to find that that's the only place where yeah. those authors are. And uh, it, it just struck me as of going from the UK where I was never viewed as a black author, mm. just an author, 
and then coming to America where you know it, it's still a very racially yeah I mean fight. Kit DeWall talked about that um, when we did the interview with her and she was saying that when her book came out in America that they have um, reading group questions in the back yeah um, and in the American versions it was all about Right. the racial dimensions yeah. of her book and she doesn't regard the book as being particularly about race it's that childhood yeah um, but, the, but in America it does seem to be much more of a of a discussion topic perhaps than it is here I mean I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing but it is a thing Mike says quietly <laughs> <laughs> um, is it a thing I don't know America's a weird place I, I, I just think it I just think it is so we've had poets it's, and yeah. China <laughs> <laughs> now America I mean, I mean uh, no no but it, it Oh, but it, it, but, but right, it is, yeah. I mean, it, you know, within a living generations, you, you, you've had the Jim Crow laws, so yeah. it, it is very stratified there. And, but you, you kind of come from, coming from somewhere like London or Birmingham, where everybody's mixed up, you don't think about it at all. And then in America, you know, even when you're walking around, you will, it's very rare to see an actual mixed group of people. Yeah. And that's you know, one of the things that he does in this book. He, he, he segregates schools. He tries to bring back segregation. I don't think there's any need. It's, it's already there. You know, whether, whether people talk about it or not, mm. it, it's a very segregated country. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but I don't think it, it's going to change anytime soon. Um, we have another, another part of the interview in which we talk about these issues. So, so um, Philip asked uh, about this idea that, that Catherine mentioned there about whether there's a burden um, placed on writers to be... Um, compelled or pressured into representing a particular section of the community. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some people do that. Some people want that burn. Some people don't want that burn. I don't think there's a one way to do this. Like, I don't think there's a right way to do it. But I think what, you know, back to where we started is I think hopefully, you know, the bookshelf that's out there just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, so we have just an increasing just a panoply of stories, stories by different people who get to tell the stories that they want to tell. But we get caught up. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I think because Marlon won last year and I won this year. I was having another conversation yesterday with a guy and he was like, oh, Colson's going to win next year, you know, which may or may not happen. And, you know, I think it's that thing of whoever chooses, like they have to choose the book they want to choose, you know. And I think, yeah, there's some patterns that help happen. There's so many people in the world. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to really talk about this in any real sense. You know, it's more than just the books that get published. It's the editors. It's the booksellers. I mean, it's the whole thing, you know, and I don't know where to start and all that. And, and the other thing is I'm not a person who thinks like, having racially diverse or uh, sexual orientation diverse, like de facto gets you what you want, you know, because there's so many other things. Yeah. But I think, yeah, those people get to make bad decisions the same as anyone else. We need to, <laughs> people making bad and good decisions, that should be. That's equality. You know, yeah, no, seriously. But I think having a diverse population is good. I'm not arguing against that, but it's, I don't think it's a necessary fix for the problems people think are out there. But I think, yeah, if you can have a diverse group making the same decisions, I don't, you know, I think that can happen. What has this whole journey been like for you since the book came out and, and getting shortlisted and, and winning? Yeah, I don't know. It's been good. Yeah, a little tiring. I'm not a good traveler, so. Uh, Lots and lots of traveling. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a great traveler. Once I get there, I'm okay. But uh, it's been good. I met a ton of really nice people, a ton of smart 
people, you know, and it's been nice. I was just in Australia yesterday, you know, and listening to these young writers talk about their lives and their problems, and sort of the same everywhere in a weird way, you know. That's nice. I mean, I, I, for me, it's nice to have my feet just on, on soil that I'd never thought I'd be on. That's been good. Yeah, we're talking, you know, I'm going to have some people. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, the hard part is I'm not a great talker and I don't like talking very much. So that part's hard. You know, people want to hear things and it's, it's hard to like figure out what to keep private and mm, what yeah. to, you know, give information. That's hard for me. But I mean, but it's great. I mean, you know, it's nice to see, uh, it's nice to get some recognition. I mean, the beautiful thing about the book is such an international prize, which is something that Americans don't think about. And it's funny, like, uh, my wife said this the other day, because uh, sort of at the beginning, there were some people who were pissed off that an American won or that the prize had been opened up to Americans. And my wife said the other day, she said, uh, those people got it backwards. Like, when they win, whoever wins, you know, that's going to open up a whole nother market in time in the States. It's like, yeah, you're right. Somebody needs to remind these folks of that. Yeah, it's been good. That's all I'm trying to say. What, if anything, are you currently working on? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Just thinking a little bit. That's it. Fair enough. Well, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you, Philip. Appreciate so, it, man. This has been Paul BC, author of The Sellout. Go out, buy it, read it. You will love it. I'm Philip Ellis. Back to the studio. Thank you very much for that, Philip. Very wow. professional there, wasn't he? Uh, he, he, he certainly was. Um, that was fantastic. Uh, thank you so much, Philip. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Paul. Uh, please go out and read the sellout. Uh, tell us what you think of it. Don't forget that you can contact us at on Twitter uh, at, at brumradio underscore books or email us at bookclub at brumradio.com. We'd love to Or telephone us. <laughs> 01216 double three double five three four. Please stop giving out the phone number. It must be really stressed. No telephone. Andrew is right next to it. Answer the phone. If what you thought about it. So coming up next is our, our regular blog spot section. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time we've got... Valerie O'Riordan from Book Munch. Oh, right, okay. Um, talking, and then this is a really interesting... Uh, they publish a regu- they publish a review every day, uh, and um, they are also looking for uh, reviewers all the time. So have a listen to this and see if it sounds like the sort of thing you're interested in. And, um, and what sort of books are they, are they going to be talking about? They talk about the literary fiction literary end. Fiction. And, and we yeah, talked about this yeah. before, but I think one of the things you would say about this stuff is they're all books that maybe don't follow... Uh, they're not as easy to categorise, perhaps, because yeah. they're, not, they're not following a genre. So um, they're all different sorts well, of apart things. Apart from they are... The literary venue. Yes, exactly. But um, you know, there's, 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 they're all, they're all quite different from each other. But anyway, let's listen to what Valerie says. She's got some recommendations, and um, it's very interesting. So let's have a listen. Hi. So my name is Valerie O'Riordan. I am the co-editor alongside Peter Wilde of a literary book review website called Book Munch, which you can find at bookmunch.wordpress.com. Our format is that we publish one review a day, Monday to Friday, pretty much the entire year, and we have got a slate of volunteer uh, reviewers that contribute to the site based all over the UK, also in Ireland, in France we've got somebody in Turkey so we're fairly international and we're pretty eclectic in our tastes. That said of course our focus is on literary fiction so the bulk of what we review falls down that end of the, the reading spectrum we mostly review novels and short story collections, we do a monthly roundup of what's happening in the world of graphic novels and comics which is uh, pretty fascinating. We do the occasional non-fiction title. Um, Actually, one I reviewed recently was a bit of a revelation to me. It's Mark O'Connell's To 
Olivia Machine, which is this amazing look at the phenomenon of transhumanism. Um, a whole bunch of people out in Silicon Valley who want to transcend the phenomenon of death uh, by uploading their brains to the cloud or making themselves into cyborgs or um, developing um, the AI that will become our new um, benevolent overlord. So um, that was slightly out of my normal uh, category of reading material, but it was absolutely amazing and I highly recommend it. That's out with Granta. Of course, every year we're all over the prize shortlists and long lists. So when Paul Beatty's The Sellout came out, we were definitely on top of that one pretty quickly. I thought it was a really fascinating look at the complexities of racial identity and the intersection between self-respect and self-hatred and how personal identity is enmeshed with group identity. So that was fantastic. I'm sure you're hearing a lot more about that in this uh, week's show. One of the things that I particularly love about reviewing is how it introduces me to books and authors that I wouldn't ordinarily come across. I'm not sure, for instance, how Paul Beatty had managed to escape me up until the sellout came out. Um, so that was a, a glaring omission in my cultural knowledge, which um, I'm addressing now by reading his back catalogue. But there's also writers whose work I have encountered through Book Munch, uh, whom I think I would have been unlikely to come across by any other means. Last year, one of my reading highlights was uh, Mia Gallagher's Beautiful Pictures of the Lost Homeland, which is this amazing look at the intersections between Czech culture and Irish culture and transgenderism. And it was just absolutely brilliant. A massive tomb of a book, but one that is really worth checking out. That, com that came out last year in New Island Press in Ireland. I actually get sent quite a lot of Irish fiction, which is brilliant because it lets me keep up with the scene in a way that would otherwise completely bankrupt me, I think. So I recently reviewed Arya Yermo's The Iron Age, uh, which tells the story of a younger growing up in post-war Finland in a very brother's grim, brutal, simplistic yet brutal type of way. Um, and it's amazingly illustrated as well. It's a really beautiful little book. Tramp Press are the people who also brought us Mike McCormick's Solar Bones last year, so they are doing absolutely stellar work and uh, we are always really 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 psyched to get hold of their latest releases every time and another book that i came across this year that i think i would never have noticed otherwise is alexandra clemens you too can have a body like mine clemens an american writer and this is her debut novel it's kind of like an even weirder miranda july it's a very surreal exploration of female subjectivity subjection and objectification it's a quick read, but it's really emotionally compelling. And, you know, if you're into feminism, you're going to like it. So that, that was a good discovery. I think one of the main things that I love about blogging for Book Munch is how much contact we have with the independent presses. We get all the big releases, which is amazing, and we can keep on top of the current literary scene. But getting sent books by the small presses that might not get the broadsheet coverage is what I get the most fun out of. It really expands my reading landscape and... If you fancy getting in on a piece of that action, do give us a shout because we're quite often looking to expand our pool of contributors. There's no money involved, but there's lots of free books. And to be honest, you're only going to spend your money on books anyway. So, you know, why not just cut straight to the source? It's been a pleasure to be part of the Brum Radio Book Show. Thank you for having us. That was Avalio Reardon from uh, Book Munch. Thank you so much for that. Um, 
an ice round of, 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 I suppose, what we call literary fiction. Yeah, I mean, I think what I'd say about that was this whole idea of when they're all so different, all those books sounded so different to each other, it must be harder to actually promote them. But, you know, because we're always talking about promotion here, we're all commercially yes, yeah, no, minded. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, but I mean, yes. I mean, but to, to, I think to say that literary fiction as a genre doesn't exist is, is a bit sort of disingenuous. No, 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 I'm not suggesting that. No, no of course not. No, 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 of course not. No, we've got all serious, haven't we? I know um, this is very... Stuart, Stuart in particular here was quite concerned yes, about yeah, the paucity of jokes. About, yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> OK. So let's, uh, let's bring so in a joke. <laughs> within the, with that in mind, over to Catherine <laughs> and her tale. No pressure, but you have to make um, it funny. I have, and I've, this is a book full of lols, <laughs> you know, dealing as it does with the Atlantic slave trade. So, yeah... No, I'm going to be talking about... This month's debut is called Homegoing by Yagayasi. Uh, and it's... Uh, yeah, I th- I'll start off by saying uh, Cards on the Table, it's a great book and I would heartily recommend it to everyone. It's... Um, the story starts on the what was called then the Gold Coast of Africa in the 18th century with two sisters that they don't actually know. They're sisters, they're kind of half-sisters, called Effia and Essie. Uh, one goes on to marry a British soldier who is a slaver uh, and the other one is captured and sold into slavery and then the book follows, it's got this very sort of rigid structure where it follows the descendants of both of these women um, sort of one generation at a time for seven generations so one story follows the trajectory in Africa the other goes to the Caribbean and then the United States and I think hearing that you think oh sounds interesting sounds maybe quite sort of sometimes with a book like that that's following quite a rigid structure and is following this big massive panoramic historical mm. sweep I suppose you might suspect that this is going to be um, that the characters might just be ciphers for you know history lessons you know yeah. what I mean that they're just going to be mad and I really didn't find that the case at all I think the um, each chapter is the next person in the family tree and they are incredibly vivid and richly imagined and uh, it's one of those books where each time you leave one character you think oh no I really want to stay with that character and then it moves on to the you know back to and Africa. You, you, won't, you won't see them again that Well that's that's a really beautiful thing about it you don't see them again in their own right but obviously you'll then be with their child and then after that their grandchild eventually and so there are echoes of these people and sometimes that can be so Devastating, You know, there might be a casual mention to, oh, of course, his mother committed suicide. And you think, what? We spent a chapter with her when she was young. Oh, mm. no. You know, and it's it's really, uh, really powerful, really devastating book in lots of ways. But also um, a lot of, you know, it's hard to say. But there's, there's warmth there. I mean, what, what, it, what it's about, basically, is the way that the legacy of slavery disfigures generation after generation after generation, which sounds utterly sort of bleak but obviously it's incredibly important a message and I mean I think you know Zadie Smith has provided a blurb for it where she describes it as beautiful and healing and I think you know I I understand what that means because there is something healing about the book there is some kind of coming to terms with it towards the end Um, and yeah really powerful really engaging and really haunting so does it go right the way through to the present day it goes right the way through to the present day and you know without sort of I don't think it spoils anything to say a sort of a, a chance coming together of the mm. two two sides of the family in America, um, which is. Now, the, I, I read that the the author was was um, is a graduate of the Iowa mm. um, writing program. Does, yeah. does it feel 
like that. No, no. Well, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what that would feel like. I mean, it feels it feels like it's well written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, um, but what I also, I mean, I read that she'd said that she did quite light historical research. Right. And I think that comes across in all the best ways. You know, it's not... Um, it's, it's about the characters, not the set dressing, which isn't to say, you know, sometimes with kind of books that are covering these massive sweeps of time, it feels quite didactic yeah. and quite uh, worthy. And certainly, you you know, I learned an awful lot from this book, but mainly what I learned about was the characters and their stories and the sort of, it, it's, it, it wears the historical research really light, I think, in the best way. Um, yeah. Very it sounds like it might, might be quite an interesting companion to read with the sellouts, actually. Yeah, that's why, because I haven't read the sellout yet. And when we were talking about it earlier, I thought, yeah, they sort of they, they could go together very well, I think, in sort of uh, looking in sort of completely different ways at certain shared topics. Now, it's, it's interesting that um, that this book, um, I believe, sold for over a, a million dollars, mm-hmm. um, which is amazing for a, a debut author. Uh, and yet... Um, Paul Beatty's book is is out on an independent in the UK. I just wonder whether, because of the different takes on race, whether one sort of says, please spend a million pounds on me, and the other one says, mm, we'd rather we didn't see you, yeah, and I, you're going to come out on an indie press. I, I'm sure there's nothing about that, because, you know, as I say, the, this this healing thing there is yeah. an optimism here and not that she's trying to provide answers and saying oh it all ends happily she's not at all but um neither is it as 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 coruscating as Paul Beatty sounds and, and as throwing up as many questions mm. I guess I mean he throws up questions in other ways but um I would say it sounds a read that would um less less difficult in certain ways I guess but that's not to diminish it at all and you know uh it's not it's not cheesy in any way. It's a really uh, strong book. Yeah. And who is your who is your favourite character when you're talking about characters? I think um, there's there's a really haunting um, chapter about um, a guy called Kojo Freeman, who's um, uh, this is set in about the 1850s now, and he and his wife and his kids they're they're no longer slaves. They've been freed. Um, his wife is legally free. He's not quite legally. He was a, he was. A, uh, got away when he was a baby someone helped him escape when he was a baby and uh this whole chapter is really about their family and about um his terror of somehow being caught again and being taken Mm. back in because the fugitive slave act comes out which means people can go and capture you know anyone who absconded but you know it's complete who the hell knows who's absconded and uh what happens is his wife vanishes one day just in the middle of this chapter and he never finds out what's happened to her. His pregnant wife just vanishes, and it's a really, really heartbreaking chapter. You don't know what happens. That you do find out later on in the book in subsequent generations, but you don't know. It's just this sort of: was she kidnapped? Is it something to do with the fugitives? Like, oh, what is it? It's uh, it's powerful. Oh, actually, oh, that's quite. Oh, mm. I'm sort of speechless there. That's, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, so that was um, the homegoing. Yeah, homegoing by Yargassi. Yeah, Yargassi. Yeah. We thinking. I think so, yeah. I... Let Excellent. us know. You, you, wrong. You'd give that the uh, thumbs up? Yeah, I'll give it, you know, all, all, all two <laughs> thumbs up, yeah. So you're listening to the harrowing and uh, very serious Brum Radio book show. <laughs> um, it looks like we've come to the end. Uh, hopefully next month it will be less serious, less mm-hmm. harrowing. Um, 
Well, uh, I've, I've read the book, so I'm not making any, <laughs> any promises. But our, our book next month is uh, Greatest Hits um, by Laura Barnett. Oh, fantastic. We, are, we do like, we do like uh, Laura, don't we? Fantastic. Yes, we had her on one of our early shows with her debut novel, uh, Versions of Us, which is very good. Oh, fantastic. So that's going to be our book of the month. And um, do we know what our um, debut is for next month? Uh, we have a couple uh, in mind, but Catherine has to choose one. So oh, we'll right, okay. wait until she does that. We won't I put say, the pressure on no, 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 for her no, to do that now. Uh, anyway, so you've been listening to the Brum Radio Book Show. Thank you to our uh, guests. Thank you to Stuart from Waterstones. Thank you to Catherine and Flynn. Thank you to Andrew, who's been um, manning the uh, our internet things. How are you, Andrew? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Um, would you like to just tell us very quickly what you've been reading this month? Oh, God. Um, I ploughed my way through the two uh, Noval Harari books, Sapiens and Homo Deus. Oh, the I've, been I've been fancy. You're not really lightening the... I'm, not, I'm really yeah. sorry. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Keeping, I'm keeping with the theme of the series. And thank you, obviously, to Blake. And thank you, Mike. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. See you next month. Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website or go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.